0: Shrink wrap radio number 842. Alyssa Hirschfeld, MFT, on ketamine supported therapy in treating loss and grief. And now it's time for Dr. Dave and Shrink wrap radio. You're on the couch again with Dr. Dave
1: and Shrink wrap. Trink Rap Radio. All the psychology you need to know, and just enough to make it dangerous. It's all in your head. And now here's your host, Dr. Dave.
0: My guest today is Alyssa Hirschfield, a licensed marriage and family therapist, trained EMDR therapist, and certified spiritual director who specializes in grief slash loss and trauma. She began to train in psychedelic assisted therapy when she saw its power to help her heal after her own divorce. We're going to be discussing her work around grief and loss using ketamine assisted therapy. Alyssa Hirschfield, welcome to Shrink Wrap Radio.
1: Thank you so much, David. I'm so uh, pleased to be here with you.
0: Well, I'm pleased to have you. We know some people in common, and uh, some of them came forward to urge me to uh, to do an interview with you. And I was happy happy to find out about you and your work. And uh, just so the people know what to expect, uh, we're going to be the the heart of our of our meeting today will be a, a discussion of some case studies, and uh, in which you use. Uh, ketamine as for psychedelic assisted therapy and and uh, the first case is going to be you but before we get into that uh, <laughs> let's uh let me ask you about your professional background how did you get into all of this
1: great thank you so i am so i'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and i've been working uh, specialized in specializing in grief and trauma for a number of years now. Um, I worked with Hospice By the Bay for a dozen years and um, became the director of their bereavement program. Um, So I have a lot of experience with grief and loss and trauma. And now in my private practice, I do a lot of trauma work, Um, do a technique called EMDR, which helps people to process complex trauma. Right, yes. but going back a little bit, the way I first got interested interested in psychedelics, um, actually, I was working as a research assistant with Dr. Joseph Schiltkraut um, at Harvard Medical School right out of college.
0: Uh-huh. And
1: uh, we were researching, actually, the connection between uh, mood disorders and creativity and spirituality in modern artists. And as part of my work with him, he was the editor of the American Journal of Psychiatry. And he would occasionally give me books to review for the journal that he thought yeah. I'd be interested in. And so he gave me a copy of Rick Strassman's book when it first came out, The DMT Molecule. Um, so Rick Strassman was one of the first to um, study Uh, the effects of psychedelics in human subjects um, after a 20 year shutdown in research. So, you know, I was an impressionable young 20 something and um, I was fascinated by that research. So flash forward 20 years uh, or so, um, maybe 30 years, um, you know, I kind of had my career, I raised my daughter, I was looking for something new and interesting um, in the age of COVID and teletherapy and my alma mater, CIAS has a program in psychedelic assisted therapy. So um, I decided to go back to that original interest um, and enroll in their program and then got some training through MAPS, the multidisciplinary association of psychedelic studies, Um, and began doing some work with some ketamine clinics.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, something else that I noticed on your bio, it said that you're a spiritual advisor. And I wondered, okay, well, what does that mean? Does that mean you're coming from some particular religious perspective? Um, uh, How does one become a religious advisor?
1: Well, that's, a spiritual
0: advisor, that is not religious.
1: That's a, that's a very good question. A, a lot of people aren't familiar with the term. So it's actually uh, spiritual director um is the term that's been used for many decades. Um and uh, you know, it originated in a in a Christian tradition, but you know, I like to think of it as um spiritual companionship. So I've For many years, I've been interested in really the blend between psychology and spirituality Mm -hmm. and kind of helping people work with themselves from a holistic uh, perspective, mind, body and spirit. So I don't come from a particular I mean, I myself am Jewish, um, um, but I don't come from a particular dogmatic perspective. When I work with people, it's really people who want to look at their lives through more of a spiritual lens, you know, in Uh terms of the work that they're doing with themselves. And sometimes that involves um, a relationship with some greater being, um, but sometimes it's more about connecting with their higher self.
0: Okay. Yeah, I can relate to all of that. I particularly, I think you use the term spiritual companion, like somebody who's kind of on the path and, uh, Mm and willing to, uh, to To walk with that person and accompany them, and accompany them on the path, as opposed to coming from a really dogmatic place and et cetera. Exactly. I, that exactly. always makes me nervous.
1: <laughs> me too. Me too. <laughs> yeah.
0: Obviously.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, and and you know, people come to me when they're interested in that, but I never, you know, when I'm doing my regular psychotherapy practice, I don't impose that on anybody. Um but you know with that said I mean one of the things that drew me to psychedelics is people tend to have often have some kind of mystical experience on psychedelics and that you right. know that that very much interests me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know I actually am of the generation of the I was in graduate school in the 60s and uh and <clears throat> Maybe it was a rationalization, I don't know. But I thought that as a psychologist, I should acquaint myself with psychedelics. And so I got very involved with, um, uh, was part of that generation of what I would call the first wave. Maybe, unless the indig- indigenous people maybe are the first wave. So maybe I'm part of the second wave. And of course now psychedelics are having a whole rebirth particularly be, we're in a third wave because of uh because of the of the interest in research uh you know once again maps and other people are doing uh research and for a long time uh people weren't doing research and it was pretty scary because you know there were heavy sanctions that uh, could come down on one mhm mm-hmm. um so maybe you can kind of give us a, a little bit mm-hmm. of an overview of of ketamine mm-hmm. in particular, and uh, and is used to treat trauma and depression. Yes, yes.
1: So, um, so um, ketamine is the the one legal psychedelic um, that's currently being used for psychedelic assisted therapy, and it's as actually an anesthesia. Um, It was patented as an anesthesia. um, Around around 1970. Um, And then in the in the 90s, research started to be done um, at Yale um, on using it um, to treat mental health issues and depression. And um, and so there's there's a good body going back at least 20 years of its effectiveness for treating treatment resistant depression. Um, Also trauma, depression is often a component of trauma. Um, And then there's ongoing research using it for um, obsessive compulsive disorder, other anxiety disorders, chronic pain, um, postpartum depression. Um, So there's a lot of good evidence uh, being built up.
0: Yeah, actually, actually, uh, there's an experience that my family had um, because our, one of our adult sons, we have four <laughs> adult kids, and one of them is a, a nurse practitioner. And actually, he went through a period of, um, of deep depression triggered by chronic pain. As far as we could tell, it was triggered by, by dental pain, and which le- made, led to facial pain. And mm. he just could not get away from that pain. Mm. And uh, somebody in the health system that he's in uh, suggested, well, we let's try ketamine. That's something that can, has been helpful for some people in this situation. So she ended up sending him to the South Bay where uh, they had a setup at, uh, it was Kaiser that was the uh, health system. And so Kaiser had a faci- has a facility down in the South Bay, where they use uh, a, do a ketamine drip, actually. So instead of taking a tablet or something, they actually dripped it into his bloodstream for mm-hmm. I think it was 24 hours or 48 hours, probably 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went down there to accompany him, and I around town. You know, the, I wasn't just going to sit there the whole time. But he said, "Oh, I'm doing fine. Why don't you go out and look around town?" Mm-hmm. And he had a marvelous experience because, in retrospect, I would say that that um, they they told him, you know, that you might you might ketamine is is considered a psychedelic, and you might have some psychedelic type experience. we don't know if that's going to happen doesn't happen for everybody. It was subtle, but it it came on slowly he had he had recruited people to send him uh, music that he could listen to during it on his uh, so people made playlists for him and so on and uh he got so high just because. Lots of people, lots of his friends were in communication with him, encouraging him and so on. And one of the one of the bad effects of of the depression that he had been in, that he had really been isolating himself from people, and he had been kind of hiding and 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 embarrassed to encounter people, and now here he was reaching out to friends and so on. And and because he was a nurse practitioner and, and uh, he had kind of backed—I think he <coughs> I don't remember the exact details, but he ended up getting some job offers. People somehow heard that he was maybe available. So <laughs> the nurses were—they were, probably thought he was hallucinating because they would come in and he'd say, oh— guess what? I just got a a job offer. (laughs) And then I got another job offer. (laughs) So he was high off of that. So he had a wonderful experience. And he does seem to need to get a tune-up every now and then. Mm -hmm. And um, so I've kind of interrupted your flow, but I just wanted to let you know I've got a little background from the family experience, not taking it myself, I haven't taken any, any psychedelics in uh, quite a long time, and I, I'm a little nervous about it. I'm not sure if I will do it or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay.
1: No, I'm happy. I'm happy to hear. And actually, I heard. I listened to some of your um, previous podcasts with. Okay from Polaris and uh, I think with David Sabog and so and I know your son was part of those interviews so yeah um, it's happy to yeah. hear his story yeah
0: yeah yeah great well maybe we should get into your story uh I think you're the first case history and <laughs> which I really like the that uh, you know the personal the personal reporting is uh is, uh, keen for me. Um, so let's have you go into it. Tell us, tell us what happened and and take us through the process in as much detail as you want. If we don't make it to the other two, we don't make it. We'll see how the time goes.
1: Okay. Well, I'd like, yeah, I hope to make it to at least one other. I actually prepared a couple to myself, but so, so I, I thought I would, maybe talk about myself more briefly, although I'm happy to answer questions, you know, I can give the overview. Um, Okay. Yeah. So I um so when I started working at the first ketamine clinic that um that I got connected with, they offered me the opportunity to do some of my own sessions to see what it would feel like. Yeah. Uh, which of course is a good idea. You know,
0: I mean, definitely.
1: You know, so I would be able to better guide clients having the experience myself. Um and it was a time that um I was uh recently divorced um after a 20 year marriage. Um and I was um my daughter was just about to go to college or had just started college. So I was also facing empty nest syndrome. Um so I certainly had um enough going on with myself that I thought it would be helpful, not only, you know, not only professionally, but personally. Um, and I like to joke that it worked so well that I'm now in a process of reconciling with my ex-husband, but you know, that's not necessarily a side effect. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but um so
0: well congratulations on that by the way
1: yeah thank you um so I guess a a couple things that stand up stand out to me from the experience was um I was I was coping with a lot of anxiety about um you know being a being on my own in the world after 20 years of being part of a family unit. Um, So uh, I experienced the treatments as kind of like a rebirth, you know, like this is an opportunity to, um, so I can, you know, I felt the anxiety. In fact, I felt the anxiety strongly in my body and I, you know, I had to really face it. Um, But then I also saw it as an opportunity to, explore different parts of myself that had been kind of on the back burner. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it, um, I went back to painting, which is something that I had done for many years, and I took that up again. I'm sorry, I, you
0: would bet oh, painting. Yeah. Painting, painting, yeah. yeah,
1: creative painting, yeah, yeah. Um, and... One of the images that came to me strongly in one of the journeys was an eagle spreading its wings. And so, you know, that I, uh, I really try to embody that sense of like a new sense of freedom. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, which, which I'm still, I mean, even in reconciling with my ex, you know, we're trying to do it in a new way where we both have more space to be individuals, even while we're in, you know, in a new kind of relationship.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, another thing that, um, another image that stood out strongly to me um, that came to me. So, um, while I was having the ketamine treatment, they projected um, the the clinic, the doctors in the clinic projected images on the wall, which is oh. not is not always done. Sometimes it's done with eye shades, you know, so that. People can really be more internal. But at this particular setting, they projected um, images which were, um, they kind of looked amoeba-like or like mushrooms growing, very, very natural kind of images, um, colorful. Um, The images themselves were somewhat psychedelic, so they probably suggested, you know, had a suggestive effect. Um, But what I saw in the images, kind of like a Rorschach, um, I kept seeing images of sperms and eggs coming together and creating new life. Um, And I I kind of had a whole um, experience, journey around that my daughter was a perfect combination of my ex and me. Uh You
0: know,
1: just a great great awe in terms of the miracle of creating her and her as, you know, her as this person in the world, Um, perfect combination of of both of us, which kind of gave me a new appreciation um, for my ex-husband. I mean, at the time we weren't, we weren't speaking much, but it just kind of helped me see things from a wider perspective, which is one thing that I think these medicines can do. You know, they can really like broaden the perspective, take us out of our, our normal frame of mind and our normal maybe negative thought patterns and just see things from a a wider perspective. Um so that was that was a very strong image and then um I'll say one more thing and then I'm happy to answer more questions or flesh things out but um I came away with a feeling of just all rightness which is which is um something that I've experienced when I've experimented with psychedelics when I was younger as well, you know, there's kind of a sense that even with all of the tension and turmoil in the world and my personal anxieties or sadnesses or griefs, um, there was a sense of, like, everything's the way it's supposed to be, like, Uh everything's okay. You know, I think about the Buddhist idea of, like, there's all, there's 10,000 things, you know, there's like, there's, there's all different, there's all different emotions and parts to the world and, and good and evil. And yet, and this is not, of course, to take away from our responsibility to make the world better. But at the same time, there was kind of a sense of all rightness, um, which eased eased my
0: anxiety. Yeah, I guess so. And interesting given um, how many things in the world right now are not so all right.
1: No, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. But, but but somehow somehow you were able to draw up get a much larger perspective and see that even with with all of that there was still some kind of all rightness. <laughs> Part, part of a larger plan or something like that.
1: Right, right, right. Or at least I wasn't as stuck in my anxiety or self-centeredness, you know. I mean, it also gave me energy to continue, you know, doing the work I'm doing and to be involved in political work and social action work. So, I mean, that's important too. But, but coming from more of a a place of more equanimity inside myself which i think just you know gave me more motivation to yeah to to do work in the world
0: you mentioned that you had gotten into painting and i'm wondering if the paintings behind you are ones that uh are that you did
1: um yeah thanks for asking this one the plant is um uh but not recently i actually did that many years ago, but okay. that is, that is one of mine. I like to, I like bright colors. I like mixed media. So this one has some fabric. Yeah.
0: Integrated. Okay. And what's yeah. the other one there on your, over your other shoulder?
1: Well, that's not mine. That's, um, that's actually by a, um, a Middle Eastern artist. It's a, um, it's a street scene. It's a watercolor street scene.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, uh, you know, I think many people uh, you talk about um, fear and anxiety, and I think a lot of people or some people are very nervous about the idea of psychedelic therapy. Um, mm-hmm. I know somebody who's been suffering with depression all of his life, somebody that I met at the gym, right? And so mm-hmm. I would kind of talk to him, well, have you thought about? have you are you willing to try? No, not willing to try too much fear. Um, mm-hmm. So even even though it seems like wow, there's this great opportunity there. What what's what do you say to people who uh, who have some anxiety about going into this?
1: Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. It's um, a good question. Well, you know, so someone needs to decide for themselves that it's the right treatment. I mean, what I would say is that um, ketamine has been being used now, as I said, for at least 20 years um, to treat mental health conditions. And there's a lot of research. Um, It's very rare that there's an adverse event. Um, So it's been, you know, it's been clinically shown to be safe. Um, um, And I, I also would say it's important to have a guide that you trust. Um, whether it's a, a a ketamine assisted therapist, which of course I would recommend or a guide someone to someone to be with you there with you, Mm -hmm. especially if you're anxious. Um, I'm sure, you know, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners know the importance of set and setting. So set being the the atmosphere where you're uh, where you're taking the medicine, you know, so making sure that it feels safe, that the environment is comfortable, that you're with someone you trust. Often there's music, you know, to help guide you into the experience um, and the the set being the mindset that you're going into it with. So um, uh, to have, you know, to feel enough of a sense that it's right for you um, going into it is important. But that said, you know, the guide is there to help because shadow material might come up, um, scary material might come up. Um, But if people remember that that's all a part of their own inner experience, you know, it's a part of their psyche. Um, And once you make friends with it, so to speak, so there's a whole concept around the different parts of ourselves and accepting the different parts. And once you get more awareness, then it's it's less scary. Um, so that's that's okay. some of what I would say. And that's it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily for for everyone. Um, you know, and there are you know there are other techniques. I mean, often people turn to psychedelic assisted therapy when other treatment options haven't worked.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, you mentioned EMDR, uh, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Is that what it stands for? Yes. And um, and do you have you combined that at all with with the psychedelic? Ex- if so, how and why?
1: <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I have used it um, often in the integration sessions so um again this might be familiar to your listeners but the process is that people have um a session with the medicine and then there's an integration session to to help um talk about to concretize whatever's come up because you know being under ketamine or you know another psychedelic substance it, it can be kind of dreamlike you know it can be ephemeral so it's important to have an opportunity to to talk about the experience to have anchor hold on to um to really integrate what happened so um and different things can happen different therapists use different tools in those integration sessions but one of the tools that i have used is is emdr to go back and you know so um for example um someone may have confronted some aspect of the trauma um, under the ketamine um, because, you know, the ketamine helps them feel safer. It shuts down the default mode network, you know, the the egoic part of ourselves, the, the more fearful part. Um, so in this way, people often have memories come to them that maybe they hadn't remembered before or have a different perspective. So then I might use EMDR to, to go up to go back and process some aspect of the trauma that now feels safer to to um, to talk about to process
0: okay interesting yeah and how
1: about uh, EMDR before you know uh-huh. before they kind of prepare you know prepare to to open up a certain traumatic memory or emotional feeling yeah.
0: I just want to underscore uh, trust that you mentioned and the importance of trust and being in an an environment where that that invites trust and being with a person, one or more people who also are are very trustworthy and having some kind of agreements about confidentiality and all of that.
1: Absolutely. I mean, trust is always the basic of any good therapy. Yeah. And there's also there's agreements made around touch, um, um, in terms of if a person wants to have their hand held, for example, during the session, if they're encountering something scary, or if they want another, you know, maybe hands on their feet to help ground them. But all of those agreements are made beforehand, and the person mm-hmm. needs to give consent. And um, you know, and if consent's not given, then then no touch is used.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, this reminded me of my one of my early, uh, actually my first psychedelic experience back in graduate school in, in Ann Arbor, and um, really had violated all the, I mean, I don't think we understood at that time the, the importance of, of trust and, and all of that uh, set and setting. So, I would say it was all wrong <laughs> the <sense that> <laughs> were, we're we're not that that good and and in particular uh one of the people was somebody that I was not a good friend with um I think there were three or f- two or three of us, and uh one of them was not a good friend uh and then he, at some point he decided that he was going to go outside. It was a snowy day in, in Ann Arbor, and I've, I freaked out. I thought, I thought it was understood that we were all going to stay there for the duration. And I'm pleading, no, no, don't go out, don't go out. And I, I really was kind of freaking out about it. And, and I've, it put me in a place of uh, probably in a, in a childhood place. You know, I felt like I was a puppy dog. At the window, you know, as I watched him go outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. fortunately, you know, I I came through that, but uh, <laughs> had to learn I some d- difficult lessons.
1: <laughs> I agree. I I remember um, taking a psychedelic in my early twenties with a friend, and we went outside, and we were in downtown San Francisco, and it was not the right place to be.
0: It was yeah. very yeah. scary. Really. <laughs> Really, yeah. okay. Well, uh, you mentioned that you had a, a you've got a couple other uh, uh, cases to talk about, and um, so sure. why don't you take us to next <laughs> next slide?
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I also wanted to say, I just wanted to say before I do that, um, and this is general for all cases that. Um, Ketamine um, has an effect of increasing neuroplasticity. So there's a you know it it promotes the growth of new dendrites, new new brain connections. Um, and there's a period, there's a window of seventy two to ninety six hours after a medicine session wow. where, where neuroplasticity is greater. So there's so that's a really prime time wow. to do some good psychotherapy because. You know, people are more, you know, there's um, people are able to wire in um, new insights and new new behaviors, new new uh, habits.
0: Yeah, new learning. Yeah,
1: exactly. New learning and, you know, a time to think about certain habits they want to change or certain negative thought patterns that they're ready to let go of. Um, So, yeah, I just thought that was important to say.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So the first case I thought I'd talk about, um, um, and actually I have, I have a lot of in common with this woman. So, um, you know, it's, um, easy to, you know, I relate a lot to her experience. Um, and she's given me permission to talk about it. So this is a, um, a middle-aged recently separated, um, Jewish woman with, um, who um came in with a, a couple of intentions so her mother had um had died um, a handful of years ago and she this client was actually approaching the age that her mother was when her mother died so the client had a lot of fear around her own mortality mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Coming out. um and you know there was grief as well grief un- unresolved grief about her mother um and uh, she also had anxiety about aging and aging alone um so these were the these were the issues that she wanted to to work with and the first thing that she um encountered was her anxiety the first thing that she felt um and you know sometimes there can be some anxiety about the feeling of the substance coming on especially if if people aren't used to you know if people don't don't take Um, don't use substances regularly. There can be something about the feeling in the body. Um, So she experienced some of that. And also, you know, it just felt like a wave of anxiety that she needed to move through at the beginning with, with help, with guidance. Um, But what she realized, well, she realized a couple of things. She realized that it was connected to her mother's anxiety, um because her mother had been a very anxious person mm-hmm. and it also felt like maybe it was maybe she had even like come into this lifetime with with anxiety you know even like from the womb um you know um, absorbing her mother's anxiety um and there was also a piece of intergenerational trauma i think that was that was part of it and that's another thing that i've that i've studied that i've looked at that i've seen um talking to people and working with people that um, sometimes psychedelic substances can, can bring forth intergenerational trauma and help people to work through that piece as well.
0: Can you give us an example in terms of her story? What was the intergenerational component?
1: Well, um, as I said, she was Jewish, so there was, you know, um, some some of her family had had perished in the Holocaust. Yeah. Some of her family had escaped from Eastern Europe. Um, so she had grown up with those kinds of stories and, yes. uh, you know, and kind of absorbed them. There's also, you know, there's research that sometimes a grand, you know, there may be a grandparent who went through... Um, an extreme trauma, including, you know, um, um, Holocaust or genocide. And, you know, a, a future grandchild might end up with some anxiety disorder. Um, and there seems to be some connection between those. So,
0: yeah, there's some evidently there's research that suggests that it may actually get biochemically embedded somehow genetically.
1: Exactly, epigenetically. Yeah. Yes
0: yeah.
1: exactly um so I think that that was that was a piece of her story but in um, in realizing it and gaining insight into it and um, you know feeling it gain, getting uh, gaining insight she was able to to start to you know not that it's completely dissolved but you know she started to be able to let go of some of the chronic anxiety that she felt um so, and she also had the realization um, that the flip side of anxiety is excitement. So, you know, she realized, too, that, you know, that there was anxiety about being in the world, um, but maybe the flip side was excitement about the journey of life. And she uh-huh. could gain access to to more of that, you know, to more passion for life. Um so, um, she then went on to, um, in another session, look at, um, how anxiety was connected to the fear of aging and the fear of illness because both her mother and her grandmother had, um, dealt with chronic illness, um, you know, starting in late middle age, um, and then both had died relatively young, so she had a fear that this pattern would continue. Sure. Um, and she came with the integration work as well. She came to realize that aging didn't have to look the same for her as it had for her mother and her grandmother. You know that she could have some choice. Um, she could have some agency about how she took care of herself, the mindset she had about, you know, looking at middle age. Not necessarily as the beginning of a slow decline, but as a new opportunity for new kinds of growth, mm-hmm. yeah. um, new experiences. Um, she actually, th- this was interesting. Um, she actually saw the word fear spelled out um, in letters, in, in colorful, multicolor letter, letters wow. around her head. Kind of like, you know, like fear had been a prison surrounding her. Wow. Um, and um, and with that insight, you know, she then sort of had the vision of her head expanding beyond the fear.
0: Oh, great. Yeah.
1: Mindfulness expanding beyond the fear. Um,
0: I think it makes uh, so it's such a powerful difference to have an experience like that rather than just an idea about that, Right.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that I think is part of what is so powerful about these medicines is yeah. that it's not just talking. It's not just telling your story to a therapist, maybe having the therapist give you their interpretations, Right. It's, it's you actually having an embodied experience
0: yeah.
1: that changes the way you think about things. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a couple of other themes that came up for her. Um, and, and this is true. I've seen this with other clients as well. Um, that ketamine had a really heart opening effect for her. Um, so you know, she um she felt her mother's love, she felt her grandmother's love. Um she had greater love for herself. Um she ended up, you know, having a conversation with her mother where she was able to have a kind of, um, closure conversation to express, mm-hmm. you know, to work through some unresolved issues between them, um, to, you know, and also to, um, to f- forgive her mother for certain things. Um, but really like encapsulated in this feeling of just, again, an embodied feeling of love and the love that her ancestor had had for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she had a vision of her mother and grandmother actually escorting her to meet her inner wise woman. Um, oh, yeah. You know, it was a very yeah. visual experience for her um, and a very powerful experience. Um,
0: yeah, I guess so.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it, it made, you know, in terms of her fear of aging alone, it put her in touch with an awareness that um, – she really wasn't alone, you know, she felt connected to a chain of ancestors, um, you know, to, um, as well as to the people present in her life, but it it made her feel, it lessened that feeling of existential anxiety. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I hope that, I hope that is, is one good um, example and, You know, and I also wanted to touch on the importance of um, the integration sessions afterwards. Um, So, you know, I talked to clients about what will help them to hold on to the experience. And for her, doing some drawings of this image of her wise woman um, was very helpful to to really, like, connect with that um, to make it stronger. Um, She also did some some movement, some dancing to kind of embody it inside uh-huh. of, um, you know, so, so different things work for different people, depending on, um, if they're, if they're more kinesthetic, if they're more visual, if they're more intellectual, um, you know, sometimes listening to music from the session will remind them of some of the insights. Um, so whatever can help to, to ground it.
0: I know another case study that you mentioned uh, involved a young man uh, whose father had committed suicide. Maybe you can take us through, through the highlights of that one.
1: Sure. Yeah, sure. Happy to. So um, this was a guy um, in his late 30s, uh, single. His parents divorced when he was young and um his father had been verbally abusive towards him, so he was at this point in his life pretty estranged from his father. Um, had been estranged from his father, um, and his father ended up dying of a of a drug overdue, overdose overdose, um, uh, which you know, possible suicide, but um, definitely traumatic accidental a- accidental death. Um, and my client um had been clean and sober um, for a number of years himself. Um, and, you know, that was one of the things he was working with. And so um, some of his symptoms, he had a history of being teased in childhood, of being bullied. Um, you know, so not only the the effects of the abuse from his father, but the history of of peer. Um, bullying. He was socially awkward. He'd been depressed, on and off, um, since his early teen years, and really the depression was really intractable for the last three years or so. Um,
0: now, did, did he approach you for psychedelic therapy because he had heard that that's what you do, or you know, how did he come to make this decision?
1: Yeah, so he was actually referred um, by by colleague that. That knows that i that I do this kind of work, okay, yeah, and he was re- you know he had researched it himself, he was ready for it
0: um um uh, but he, he had you i think you mentioned he had struggled with uh with substance abuse in his own life and plus his father, so I would think that was there some apprehension about well this is a substance.
1: You know, mm-hmm. am
0: I going to be, partic- yes. am I going to get hooked on this or what's going to happen?
1: Yeah, good point. Good point. So he had been clean and sober for a few years, which is important. You know, it's important. You know, it's always um, when I work with people, I always, you know, I walk, I work with doctors who do a medical assessment to make sure that, that it's safe from that perspective, that they're. Yeah. Um, you know, that they're stable. If someone has a history of substance abuse, that they're stable, um, they're stable in their sobriety. Um, but yeah, we did, we did, t- we did talk some about that.
0: Uh, okay. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, so he, as I said, he he felt like depression had ruled his life for many years. He was anxious. He was lonely Um So his intentions were to um, process the trauma of the abuse, um, to make his inner voice kinder because he had internalized this critical voice of his father's, um, to increase his self-esteem and to reduce his social anxiety. Um, And so some of what came up for him were, um, during the medicine sessions were memories of um, experiences with his father, of difficult experiences with his father. But again, because of the because the ketamine helps with perspective taking, he was able to step back and and see it from a wider perspective, to to, um, you know, where the the traumatic fear, so the amygdala quiets down, there's not as much fear and anxiety. there's not as much, trauma, he could really kind of look at what had happened and have more compassion for himself. Um, we did in the integration work, we did some what's known as, as internal family systems work to help him look at the the wounded part of himself, the fearful part of himself, what that part needed, how he could start to practice to be kinder to himself. Um, he also, um, in one of the sessions, was able to imagine some conversations with his father um, to again, to, to, um, to be able to um, confront the part of his father that had been a bully to him um, and also to have some healing conversations with his father. And then more grief work. So once the trauma was addressed, in those sessions, we could do more of the deeper grief work in the integration sessions. Um, he was able to see, again, this, this shutting down of the default mode network and get, getting more perspective into his thoughts. He was able to see his negative thoughts and to confront his negative thoughts. Yeah, yeah. And to end up feeling a lot more self-compassion for himself, um, more love for himself, Um, the, the experience of himself as being flawed shifted. Um, and again, as I said, with the prior case, you know, just a feeling of, of, of love in general, you know, like an awareness of, um, all the people who loved him, um, of love for himself. And from this came more social confidence, um, a willingness to step out of his, um, you know his his fears to to try new activities, to reach out, to start to make more social connections. Um and also to come to terms with his with his flaws, with his shortcomings, like with without as much self-judgment. Um you know to see himself in a more in a more balanced way.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um and then for him the integration and the ongoing work. You know because this is Ketamine is not a panacea. You know, people um sometimes they continue in ongoing therapy, sometimes they go back for booster sessions. Um, but it's important that they have a plan for ongoing self-care to continue to to work on themselves, you know, um, because these issues are are complicated. So they don't necessarily resolve, resolve immediately without ongoing work. So for him, the integration um Meant developing a regular meditation practice, you know, continuing to practice talking to himself in a kinder way, um, to be aware of the different parts of himself and what they needed in yeah. terms of compassion. Yeah, yeah,
0: you, you know what? I, w- I want to give you a chance to talk about your books because uh, we haven't said anything about that, but but you are a published author, and maybe you could just take us through that so people. Could uh, know where to go to find a book about th- that you've written and w- what they would discover there.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. So, and I just want to say that the the last case I described was sort of a, um, based on a few different clients that I worked okay. on, it's not even yeah. about, you know, because I always want to be careful about not revealing, not disclosing, sure. revealing information. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so thank you. I'm I'm happy to have the opportunity to talk about my books. So, um my first book was called This Whole Whole White World is Just a Narrow Bridge, and I wrote it based on my experience of working at hospice, um counseling hundreds of people through their losses and their bereavement um experiences. So, um and it also was based with on my losing my own mother and also a near death experience that i had giving birth to my daughter so i was pulling all of that together and wanted mm-hmm. to give people wanted to normalize the grief process and give some people ideas about how to cope with loss and with traumatic loss and also how to celebrate life because i think you know what i learned you know working with with death in terms of grief counseling with so many clients i learned that it really gave me a, a greater appreciation for life and so you know i also kind of highlight that piece yeah so that was that book um the second book was a novel uh is a novel uh called living waters and um it's a combination of a, com- a coming of age story it actually takes place at a New Age community based on Harbin Hot Springs. Actually, (laughs) yeah. Um, So it's a it's a woman in her early twenties that goes to live there, uh, who's you know separating from her family, trying to figure out who she is in this environment. And then she crosses paths with an older woman who's facing some mortality issues. So again, you know, themes that are of interest to me. And you know, the way that they impact each other and learn from each other. Um uh, so that was, you know, that was a that was a fun book to write. Um and um these books are still available online through Amazon and other outlets. Um got a you know i've gotten a lot of good feedback um about both of them um i know that keith boxerman who we both know uh like the novel read the novel has shared the novel oh
0: Uh, good yeah
1: yeah yeah and then um my third book totally different um i edited a collection of essays by women um we started putting it together shortly after um, President Trump was elected. And it was a collection of essays of women's reactions uh, to the Trump election and the Trump uh-huh. Um, So um, my co-editor and I, Amy Bruce, my co-editor, co- and I thought it was important to, to give women a forum, um, to give women a voice, um, to speak, you know, the woman, the, the book is called Fury. So you know, to give women an outlet outlet for their fury and their rage. Yeah, um, um, and also, but also, you know, how women were being inspired um, to take political actions of one type or another. Um, so that book was published by Pact Press, um, uh, Regal House, and um, it's also available.
0: Yeah, great. So people can go to Amazon and find these books. And exactly. um
1: Yeah, and, and as uh, you can see you know, writing for me writing for me is an outlet uh for creative expression.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Along yeah. with painting. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll bet oh, yeah. I'll bet
0: other things yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. I'll bet yeah. you're into dance and probably poetry and <laughs>
1: Some of that dance for sure. Yeah. 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 Yoga. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I think one of the things that's on your cutting edge maybe that we'll close with is that uh, you've been doing um, ketamine group work. Mm -hmm. And uh, how's that going? Uh, If if you're already doing it, how is it going? Uh, What moved you in that direction, et cetera? Yeah.
1: So I I have not started leading groups. I have participated in in group group work. Um so I've seen the power in terms of um normalizing certain experiences, you know, so again the shared experience of being able to process traumatic material with a group with group support um so I think there's a, a different power that happens from a group and also um, yeah. creating some community. You know, we've all become so isolated, especially during COVID. Right. Um, so I think there's, a, you know, I think people are really hungering for community, for group support. So I have a, um, I'm hoping to put together in the next few months, a, a group um, using ketamine to help people process Intergenerational trauma, because as I said, that's a particular interest of mine, um, as well as, you know, doing some work with Jewish interge- intergenerational trauma. I had the opportunity to to do a Doctors Without Borders trip to Cambodia um, and work with intergenerational trauma. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, some some folks in Cambodia. So, you know, so I'm really fascinated with the residues of epigenetic and intergenerational trauma and how again, uh, psychedelics can be a powerful catalyst to help people to to process that. And I, you know, I really see um I'm an idealist and uh you know, with you know, with some of the um you know, some of the stipulations that these substances aren't for everyone, but at the same time, I think there's, I think there's a reason that a greater reason that maybe there's a, a renaissance right now when the world is experiencing so much distress on so many levels, um, you know, politically, climate change, rise of authoritarianism. I think it's, you know, I think these um, medicines really open us up to um to a feeling of awe, to a feeling of love, to a feeling of connection, you know. And so, I, you know, I'm really interested in in using them for more of that of that kind of healing.
0: You know, that's a good closing thought. I think <laughs> is mm-hmm. the, the importance of opening up to awe and so on. And uh, so, Alyssa Hirschfield, I really want to thank you for being my guest today. Uh, you've taken uh, taken us on on a good trip here. <laughs>
1: Great. Well, thank you again. It's, it's wonderful to meet you. And um, I thank you for the opportunity to talk with you.
0: Today's guest, Alyssa Hirschfeld, MFT, comes strongly recommended by one of my local friends. In fact, she lives in Sonoma County, where I live, but I've never run into her. Of course, COVID-19 might have something to do with that, even though it is supposedly over, but we continue to go out very little. So it was good to make the acquaintance of a local therapist who does psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. Who knows, someone might contact me for a referral. After our meeting today, I would feel quite comfortable referring out to her. Her training is quite solid and she has years of experience in a variety of modalities. As we learned, her specialty is ketamine assisted psychotherapy with those suffering from trauma and or grief. She has training in EMDR and also I was happy to learn family systems therapy. I was happy to learn this because I've discovered from my many psychedelic interviews that family systems therapy has emerged as a sort of standard intervention for psychedelic-assisted sessions. One of the things that impresses me most about Alyssa is how growth-oriented she is, not just for her clients, but for herself. She keeps pushing herself to move into new areas. For example, she volunteered to go to Cambodia through Doctors Without Borders. I don't think she knew what she would encounter there, but she knew she had skills that could be helpful to people in need there. Similarly, she is planning to start offering ketamine-assisted therapy groups. This will be a new venture for her, and she is particularly interested in exploring intergenerational trauma in these groups. Likewise, I see her willingness to explore starting up again with the husband she divorced as another piece of evidence of her commitment to growth wherever it may lead. If you are looking for a therapeutic companion, I think you'll be in good hands with Alyssa Hirschfeld. Hi, Dr. Dave. This is just to let you know that I really appreciate your show, Across the Ocean, here in the Netherlands. I've expressed that by a small donation. With regard to the work you put into your shows, it's just a small amount, but it's another way to say I value what you do. I'll keep listening,
1: with heart and mind.
0: Thank you, Joris, there in the Netherlands. Wow, listening with heart and mind. That's about all I could ask for aside from becoming a financial donor and encouraging others to follow suit. I'd like to hear from more of you listeners. I assume you know that I produce a monthly newsletter, and at the end of each one, i like to highlight comments about a recent interview. However, I've not been getting many comments lately. If you hear something that touches you, please take time to go to that interview on shrinkwrapradio.com And you'll see an area right below the interview where you can post your comments. Once again, time to shrink wrap it up. Thanks to my guest, marriage and family therapist and author, Alyssa Hirschfeld, MFT, for telling us about her work with ketamine-supported therapy in treating loss and grief. My next guest will be Amy Myers, Ph.D., LCSW, discussing the view from the other side of the couch. A therapist herself for 30 years, Dr. Myers recently launched a new podcast where she discusses what goes on in therapists' minds during treatment. I hope you'll join us for this fascinating interview. And until then, this is Dr. Dave reminding you to be kind to yourselves others, and our precious earth.
1: You've been shrink-wrapped by Dr. Dave. All the psychology you need to know, and just enough to make you dangerous.